You heard the parable, well read by Gary Buck just a moment ago. This is a famous parable. The first one kind of presented in, a lot, in the Gospels. Uh, it's a great story, and it's also explained later on in the chapter. But I needed a little bit of help this week to understand this, and so I, I consulted our resident uh, orchardist. Anybody know what an orchardist is? A person who has an orchard. Right, orchardist. Uh, and he, he, uh, he's sitting right back here on the row. Where's Phil? Phil, would you raise your hand? It's Phil Rampy. You know him as an IRS agent. Uh, watch dog, attack dog for the IRS. Uh, but he put, that, he put that meticulousness about the IRS into a dream he'd always had. How many grew up dreaming to have an orchard? Me neither. But he did. That's what he's always thought. So he thought he has some property over in Pocahontas. He has a, a daughter over there, some family, some grandkids over there too. But he's got some property and he's, I want to be an orchardist. And so he planted a bunch of pecan trees. No, you'll see it. Beautiful land, right? He planted those years. And here's how meticulous he was. He planted them all to face Jerusalem. Is that not weird? That's weird. They're all facing Jerusalem. But then as he started talking about this and telling people this, somebody said, did you take into consideration the curvature of the earth? And his face went white. He didn't. So it's, these are not kosher pecans after all, right? But they're kind of intended to be facing Jerusalem, right? Anyway, it doesn't matter. And he put these, these cages around them so that he couldn't run over them with a mower. And he sprayed them like he should. And he's got a whole bunch of these trees over there in Pocahontas. And he also pulled over like a, I think it's a camper. Is it a camper, Phil? you got a camper over there so he can spend the night with the trees. Weird, isn't it? Isn't that weird? I can just see him with a little hat on like those cabbies drive and a little harp and singing to the trees. I don't know what he does over there, but he is doing everything he can to maximize this orchard. It's a beautiful, well, here's what he found. It kind of had, it kind of was a eh, kind of crop, right? So he takes a soil sample to the county extension office. And yeah, he takes the soil over there and they analyze it and they say, Phil, you've got to do three things. You've got to put three things on this soil to make it produce. Number one, potassium. Potassium. Number two, phosphorus. I have no idea what phosphorus is. And then the third one is calcium hydroxide. Does anybody know what the common name of calcium hydroxide is? Anybody? Lime. He had to put lime on. So he's got these three things that they say, okay, this soil needs this. And so he went out and he bought some fertilizer and he put it in his truck and he took it to his camper and he stayed all night and he spent all that time fertilizing all those trees. And now look, look at that. Isn't that amazing? That's not really them. I had to look up. Uh, <laughs> that's in his dreams. That's in his dreams. But it really did produce a lot better last year than it has before this. That's what he's looking for, right? And so he's doing all this stuff. I thought about all this this week, and we're talking about these parables Jesus told, this particular parable. Parables are these stories, everyday kind of stories that have significant truth to it, but it's not obvious. You don't just come out and say, well, the moral of the story is you let the reader discover it on their own. Now, the, the reader or the hearer may not actually work to discover it. He may not care enough to work on it. And if that's the case, that's their own business. Jesus left it kind of unclear. 
to be discovered by the hearer. And so this sermon today, it's as much your responsibility as mine. We're gonna talk about what Jesus said and apply it to your life, but it's up to you to decide if you're gonna let this story penetrate into your life and be something that tells you something, diagnoses you. It's as much your job as mine. And so if you go home and you say, that's a terrible, well, it's a terrible sermon because you didn't do your job. You got a work to do. You got a job to do as you hear this lesson t- this morning, right? So here he tells this parable and there's three, three kind of elements to it. There is a sower who's slinging the seed. There is the seed that's being slung. And then there's the soil that it lands on. That's the three elements of the story. And the major issue of the story, or the major action, is a soil sample that's taken. Jesus says we had to figure out what's going on with this soil. And so he takes a soil sample, and do you know why? Why would you need to take a soil sample? According to this story, it is not... It is not to determine if you'll plant the seed in different places. You're not trying to find the maximum benefit land to plant the seed in. It's not your business to do that. We don't take a soil sample to decide if we will share this truth with people or if we'll live it out in front of people. That is not what we're doing. So many people might decide, well, I'll live the kingdom life around people I'm trying to convert, but to other people who I know won't respond, I just won't say anything. No, 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 no. This, this has nothing. You sling it everywhere. You just share that gospel story. You share that seed with everybody you're around. Just sling it out there indiscriminately. That's your job. So what is the point of the soil sample? It tells the sower something. For the sower it is... My job is to sow the seed. My job is not to produce fruit. This is important. The sower needs to keep this in mind because he might beat himself up and say, I'm slinging all this seed, but there's no fruit from it. Listen, you, you make sure you plant that seed out there, but the making it grow, that's not all up to you. There's other factors involved in this that determine whether this is gonna produce fruit or not, including the heart of the person who hears it. Parents, plant the seed. Share the truth with your kids graze them up being exposed to the word of God but listen if they choose to forsake it one of these days that is their heart's right it's not just up to you but now you need to plant with as much energy and enthusiasm as you can but the second thing is this by the way in this story the sower is Jesus but the sower becomes the disciples and the sower becomes you In this parable, you have two roles. One is, you're the sower. So know this, be kingdom seed. Plant seed everywhere in your life with everybody you know and let God give the increase. Second thing is, the soils, the hearers need to identify what is going on with the soil that affects whether they receive the seed right or not. There's something in the heart of each hearer that has an impact on whether they let that seed grow up and it matures or not. There's something something going on, and when you determine that, when you decide what that is, when you identify what that is, you can address it, and you can actually fix it. The moral of the story really is this. Giving the seed a space to go in your life is the key to making you grow. You've got to give the seed its place in your life. And if you don't give it leeway, you will not grow. That's the moral of the story. And so we look at these seeds. We look at this story. 
The first, the first soil is called the pathway soil. It is like, you know, people walked on it so much that it's almost like pavement so that when seed lands on top of it, it just kind of stays on top. It doesn't sink down in there. It doesn't find a place. It's not given room. It just sits there until something steals it. And that's what happens to these people. They hear the word. You know, notice this. You notice as I, this is the interpretation of Jesus. When anyone hears the word, so they heard it, they actually heard the words of God, it says, of the kingdom, does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. Was it sown in their hearts? Yes. It reached the place it needed to get to. But the problem was, when it got there, nothing happened. They heard, but that was it. Nothing happened as a result. It is snatched up by Satan. They're distracted from something else, and before it has a chance to do anything, it is now gone. It's over. This is a description of the Pharisees and the teachers who heard Jesus preach all the time. They acknowledged his miracles, but it just never produced any fruit in them. It was never given a chance to germinate. Now, James sometimes is considered like an interpreter of Matthew. And what you're going to find is he's going he's to illustrate this point. Here's the first thing. There is a hear the truth and do the truth. And this is what we hear from the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, if you hear the words of Jesus and do them, you're like the wise man built his house upon the rock. If you're the foolish person, you hear the words of Jesus, but you don't do them, you're like the foolish man builds his house upon the sand. James says the same thing with a mirror. But what he's saying in this parable is there's a step in between. You hear the truth, and right now you're hearing truth, and you hear it all the time. When you come to Bible classes, when you hear sermons, when you read the scriptures yourself, you're hearing the truth, but there's a step in between hearing and doing it, and it's called grappling. You're grappling to understand it. You don't quite get it. It's like, man, this is not, this is not my experience. This doesn't sound reasonable to me. And Jesus makes it very clear sometimes it won't. God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So when I share my thoughts with you, they are not going to always resonate. Sometimes it's not going to make sense at all. Sometimes it's going to be out of step with what I think should be true. And you have to sit there and grapple with it a while. What does this mean? But a lot of people don't. A lot of people will say, if it doesn't come easy, I'm not going to try to understand it. A few years ago, I was telling Melissa, I want to be able to play like John Denver songs on a guitar. You know, if you're sitting out in the fire somewhere. I want to be able to play a guitar. So she got me one for Christmas, and she'll talk about this every Christmas. That guitar is still at our house. It's still in the case. It's still in the corner. It's all dusty. It's probably out of tune, but I can't get rid of it because one of these days I'll get around to it. But here's the truth of the John Denver desire in me. I want to just break it out and automatically play Rocky Mountain High. I just want it to come to me like a miracle, like a, like a wonderful visitation from God. But the problem is, and you probably know this, you've got to go for hours and hours to learn the, co the, the chords and all that stuff, and it takes time and it takes effort, and I'm getting old and it's harder than it used to be, and I just, just give me John Denver. Now I'll just play the CD and sing along. Maybe that's the best thing to do, because I don't want to, this is the thing. Living the Christian life is really pretty simple. 
But you've got to be willing to grapple with the truths of God. And sometimes you'll hear something and you're like, I don't know, that's not an, I, I don't find that easy to do and easy to get immediately. And if it's not easy, I'm not going to do it. And you're going to walk away from it. You become the pathway soil. Here's how James describes it graphically. Know this, my dear brothers, every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because man's anger does not produce the righteous life God desires. Therefore, put, all, put away all the filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. It's in there. It's implanted. You need to receive it, which can save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Put this chronologically. Here's how it goes. Number one, you need to, the word is implanted, and then you need to humbly receive it. You know what that means? I'm quick to hear it. Just give me words. Give me words from God, right? Give me scripture. And I'm going to be slow to argue against it and speak it away and argue against it and get angry about it, offended by it. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let it sink in and I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it my humble effort to give it leeway in my life. And then I'm going to move some wickedness around. The rebellious heart that characterizes me as a fallen human being, I'm going to minimize that. I'm going to give that room to grow, that implanted word. And then I do it. But here's the deal. We don't want to take that much time for it. If it's simple and I can get it, great. If not, ah. Uh, and so you go to lunch and you say, was that a simple sermon to understand? No, I'll just forget about it. That's why he used parables. And he makes it clear to us what this is. So what should you do for a person like this? Because the key, right? Next slide. Given the seed a place to go is the key to making you grow so what do you do if you're if your pathway soil like right now you're saying yep that's me or if you're thinking of someone there's somebody in my life who's just like that what do they need what do they need or what do you need to do number one make every effort to grapple with the word and understand it do not let yourself off the hook so fast take some time to grapple with the word of God and that does take time you need to care about it. You need to consider it. And then do something in obedience to it. Find an immediate way to actually do what you read about. Some kind of action step that makes you taste it, right? That makes you do what the Word of God says. Paul, Peter calls doing the Word of God tasting it. It's like, I want to try it and see what it works. So you read. Don't let any wholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. You read that, and you find yourself tempted to participate in gossip or to pass along something that you shouldn't, and you say to yourself, I read that Word this week. I'm going to keep my mouth closed, and I'm going to honor this this week. And whatever way you do that, and obey that you're tasting it how's that taste i'm actually doing it that's the past soil the second kind of soil is rocky jesus says it was sown on rocky soil the one who hears the word and notice the word immediately there's a reason it's in red immediately receives it with joy oh this is great stuff the christian life is so wonderful it's so pumped up i can do this for life i want to be baptized in the next three minutes but has no root endures for a while but when not if when tribulation or persecution arises on account of that word when it gets troublesome when it gets meddlesome when it starts vetoing me when it starts 
getting in my life and messing things up, when it starts messing up my relationships, when it starts rearranging my dating life, when it starts, when it starts meddling, just as immediately I responded, I immediately quit. This person collapses. The word for falls away, he's offended by the faith. Because I think this person, maybe it's a young person, and the whole attention of the church, let's get activities, and we got to fight. It's fun, and it's fun, but then they get in their early 20s and, and slows down, and now it's not as much fun. There's not as much attention. And, and just as quickly as they came on, they fall away from it. Because for some reason they thought, my troubles are over, I'm a Christian now. Oh, all the troubles go away and all these people around me and all this celebration and they're all singing kumbayas, I got baptized and, and, and everybody's going to support me and the church is never going to disappoint me. Church will never disappoint me. They'll always be there for me. No, we won't. I love Valley View. I'll promote Valley View, but I'm not going to promote it that way because we won't always be there for you. What's going to happen when that happens? John chapter 6 has this talked about. These people get fed. 5,000 people get fed by Jesus, and then they go on the other side of the lake, and they follow him to find him the next morning, and Jesus says, you're just here for the food. Let me tell you the truth. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood in order to have life. And you know what they do? They turn tail and run. That's really difficult. The Christian faith is simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy in the sense of to do. There are some tough truths that we are committing ourselves to honor, and we can't change it, we can't alter it, and we can't make it more palatable to you. We have to leave it, just like Jesus said, very concentrated. What happens when that happens. It's, it's the whole progression thing. They hear the truth, they grapple to understand the truth, and they hook on easy to the things we like. Oh, I want to sing about heaven. I want to sing about the wonders of God's heaven. Okay, great. But there's a whole bit, a, a lot of time between when you were baptized and when you get to heaven, and it's called living the Christian life on a fallen earth. And that's just as much of concern to Jesus as the heaven, right? He says just as much. And so that's the part that's hard, and that's the part what, ooh, it's tough, right? So what do you do with this soil? If that's you, you have a tendency to like, oh, let things discourage you too much and be offended too easily by the faith. What, what should you do? Well, first of all, don't, don't be a downer, right? Be very clear. Don't, I don't want to paint the Christian faith as negative, but I got to tell you, when Jesus talked about the kingdom, he says, I want you to count the cost before you decide. I want you to remember I want you to remember, if you can't afford to build the building, don't start building it. If you don't have enough to take on your enemy in war, well, then don't start the war. He says, and if you can't live up to the Christian faith, well, then don't waste your time with it. He's very clear about this. So we need to study James chapter 1. Consider pure, my, pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. When? Yeah. James says you've got to dig in there, and you've got you to embrace it. You've got to look at this as an opportunity to experience your faith. Ooh, James 1 needs to be preached just as much as the forgiveness of sins and the joy of baptism. 
But there's a second thing I think that should be done. This is when we need the community of faith more than any other time. What do you do for a believer who doesn't have the rooting? And they can't have it. They're new believers. They don't have the rooting system to support the challenges. So what happens when challenges come? They need to lean on the rooting of other believers. You come to church with people who've lived the Christian life a long time, and they've faced some terrible things. They've gone through some real challenges because of the word, and they're still here, and they keep coming. They keep showing up, and it's an amazing thing. And when you face stuff, and it's going to happen, it's going to happen sooner or later, when you do, and you don't have the rooting, just lean on them a little bit, and they'll help you until you've got the rooting. This, this weekend, this has happened. We have a member who is in a family event they have no choice to be in the whole thing the whole weekend. And in the midst of this, they, get inter- they have to interact with family members who are very negative and very rude to this person, have been all their lives. And yet, and yet they know they've got to be in here for the sake of family. So I get this message. You need to give me some verses to think about and you need to give me prayer all week long I want you to pray for me all weekend long because I have to interact with this person and this person brings out the worst in me this person causes me to just absolutely lose my mind and my temper and I just don't know how I'm going to go the whole weekend but I don't have a choice but I'm determined I've got to be faithful and I've got to be like Christ I've got to use this as a growth moment what do I do I sent the verses Romans chapter 12 As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. And when somebody offends you, you you don't take vengeance. You don't respond in kind. You you leave it to God to take vengeance, right? He's going to take care of that. And don't forget 1 Peter. When you have to suffer for doing right, and you will, consider it an honor, Consider it a privilege for God to do that. I want you to look at it that way. That's how you've got, and I want you to meditate on these verses, and I'll be praying for you all weekend. And so every, every couple hours, I get this text. It's going okay. And this morning, it's all over, and this person says, it wasn't easy, but I did it. You may have terrible circumstances come up in your life, but that doesn't take you off the hook for letting the seed show up in that context. You don't get to say, hey, it's so hard, I give myself a pass. No, no, you don't. You still, you, this is your moment. This is your moment to show the kingdom in the middle of a, a context that is terrible. Do it. They weren't rocky soil. This person is the good soil And they leaned on other people, not just me, but for others. They leaned on other people during this time. Next screen. It's because of this. Giving the seed a place to go, even in the worst of circumstances, is the key to making you grow. Even in the worst of circumstances. Third seed, third soil. Choked soil. That was sown among thorns. There's other things. There's other plants in the environment, right? This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This ground can only support so much stuff. There's only so much nutrient supply in this soil, and so you've got to be careful what you allow to grow there because there's also competition. 
And so this person welcomes the seed of the kingdom into their life. They hear it, they understand it, and they start doing it. And it's fine at first because it's kind of infantile. It's kind of like in the early days, but as it continues to grow, it needs a little more room. The kingdom will grow in you and demand more room in your heart. And so as it grows, it grows and it gets bigger and bigger and suddenly it starts clashing with what's already there. The thorns. The thorns which are the cares of this life. All the things I want to do in this life. All the obligations I've uh, committed myself to. All the dreams I have for what I want to experience in this life. All that stuff. And then, oh, the wealth. The stuff I want to get. The stuff I want to acquire. The stuff I want to protect. The stuff I want to sustain. It's all in here. And all of a sudden, there's a clash. And the heart's not big enough for both of them. There's not enough room to let both of them grow. One of them's got to, to be choked out. You don't have room for two masters. The seed has to have a place to go for you to grow. It needs sufficient attention. It needs the sufficient nutrients. And if holding on to all this stuff is more important to you, well, then the word's got to go. The seed's got to go. The kingdom just has to get out of here, right? It's got to go. One of them's got to leave. Demas and the rich young ruler examples of this kind of soil. The rich young ruler was a good guy. Everybody said, man, he's, he's a good Christian. And he is. He's a good, good, faithful, moral guy. But it came to a point where if he's going to get any greater in the kingdom, if he's going to get any more growth, he's got to lessen his love for his money. And he says, no, I can't do that. So he gives the money the sway and the seed goes. Demas, working with Paul, seeing all the amazing things of the kingdom. After a while, he says, I don't want the kingdom anymore. I want the world. And so he goes back to, goes back to the world. This is a place for us. This is where we are. Something's got to be spit out. And unfortunately, here's the thing. You can't, take a, you can't take a pill to solve this forever. You can't scatter a fertilizer and resolve this forever. This is the problem with this soil. This is a unique problem with this soil. You have to concern yourself with stuff in the, stuff in the world. You've got to be in the world, and you've got to care what the world says. And so you've got to do things in this world that matter. And you've got to have money. You've got to have money in your life to be able to support things. But here's the thing. Is that so much that the kingdom can no longer grow in your life? How do you keep this manageable over here to allow the the kingdom seed to continue to grow and grow and grow? What can you do to keep the kingdom from being choked out by the world and money and the love of money? This one was the toughest one for me to describe because we don't have much choice about this. But there's two things I'd tell you if you are this soil or if you know someone who is. One is, decide and commit to being a gender, a, a gender, a generous kingdom giver. This is not going to be perceived as good news by American Christians. This is why Jesus talked about it all the time. You cannot help but have to deal with money in this world, but here's the thing, the love of money is what kills us. It's what chokes out the word. And so here's the seed of the kingdom growing in you, but all of a sudden the Heimlich needs to be performed. We need to get something out so that this kingdom can continue growing. And one of them is this, and here's how God tells us to do it. And this is true. This is what, this is absolutely, there's no way around it. This is the only answer I know to give you is this. You've got to decide and budget on a kingdom-friendly budget. You know what a budget is? It is a written plan to make room for things. 
And the way you budget is you make room, you put kingdom down there, and you say, I'm going to, and I, I would suggest, I strongly suggest at least tithing. Strongly suggest it. Don't leave here saying I'm saying it's a law. I strongly suggest it. That's a way to keep you from falling prey to the love of money. You put a hearty percentage and you say, I'm going to honor this. I'm not going to steal from it. I'm not going to alter it. I'm going to honor this in my life. And you may start smaller than that for a while, but you make sure you build it in. Every single time you're paid, even if you're paid extra that wasn't part of your budget, you consider it in there. And you say, I'm not going to let the love of money overwhelm me to where the seed can't grow anymore. I'm going to make sure that every bit of that is honored by my percentage that I'm deciding on. And when you have a, a vehicle that needs to be replaced, and you're like, well, if I'll just steal from this for four or five years so I can get the bigger truck. No, no, I can't do that. I've got to get the older truck. I've got to get the smaller truck, whatever it takes, because I'm not stealing from the kingdom to support the world and my love of money. This is the only way. This is the only way to keep money from dragging you down, keeping you in the world, and choking out the kingdom of God. It is the only way. That is why Paul said every week, guys, when they were paid daily back then, every week you lay by in store. You, 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 you make yourself choke-proof. Seed has to have room, a place to go, if it's going to allow you to grow. A second thing is that you involve yourself in kingdom business. This has to do with time. We have time for Netflix. We have time for our phones. We have time for practices. We have time for games. Do we have time for the seed? Other things choking out your time for the kingdom? And I don't say you have to have equal time, but there needs to be some time that you protect that's kingdom time. I'm making connection with what's outside of the here and now. I'm making connection with the one I'm going to live with for eternity. And I'm doing things to store up wealth in heaven. Right? I'm making sure that, that this by and by time has some time right now. And I'm telling you, it's hard to do. It's difficult, and yet you've got to. We find time for the things that we want to do and the things that we're determined to do. Find kingdom time every day in your life on a regular basis. I think this is why the meddlesomeness of Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night needs to stay. It is inconvenient. I don't like it, especially in the winter. It's raining, it's dark, and it's cold, and I want to stay at home. And it's Wednesday night. It doesn't really count anyway, does it? It's part of protecting kingdom time in my life. And if the church starts going, we'll demand less and less, and, less, and that's fine for the church to demand less, but the kingdom must demand more. We must let the kingdom have some sway, must inconvenience ourselves in our lives just a little bit in order for us to say we're protecting kingdom time. And that's the only way we're going to get through this life without choking on the world and its wealth. It has to have room to go, a place to go in order to grow. There's a final, there's a final soil, as you know. It's the one that is so commended at the end, 
Good soil, it's the one who hears, understands it, and even bears fruit and yields. They actually do something with what they understand and hear, and it causes a growth in themselves, and it reaches out to other people. You pursue it. You want it. So this is the woman who sees her life, and she goes, I want to be kingdom people, and so a kingdom person. So she lets the kingdom, uh, lets the truth, the seed of the truth come into her life, and she hears it, and she understands it, and she looks for ways in her life where it applies, and she applies it, and she lives it. Obedience is her best hermeneutic, and she, she gives room to it and gives time to it. And all of a sudden, her life has changed from it. And she likes the change from it, and she continues to let it, continues to hear it, and continues to understand it, and continues to apply it. Can you make room in your life? That's what this parable is asking. Can you make room? Are you willing to make space to let the seed grow? And, it's, and the more you let it grow, the more space it's going to demand. Are you going to make way for it? Are you going to make way for it? It's going to be disruptive. That's the nature of the seed. And this morning we've done a soil sample, but listen, I, you, can, you can leave here and critique the sermon all you want to, but I'm going to be critiquing you. I'm going to be critiquing you because I'm going to, are you going to grapple with this? Are you going to really expose your life to this? Because the parable Jesus tells and then leaves it for the hearer. And if the hearer says, I don't want to mess with it, it says more about the hearer than it does Jesus or the seed. It's up to you. I pray that you did that and identified some things. It's a parable. It's a parable that's left with you, and it's up for you to decide. Which one's me? And do I want to know? And am I willing to do something about what I find out there? So really, the invitation this morning is an invitation I can't describe. What are you going to do about it? That's completely up to you. Is. So I leave it with you. What is the word telling you you need to do about what you learn from the word that you heard? Whatever that is, do it as we stand, as we sing together.